0: Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of our Thirsty Podcast, uh, part of the Raised With Jesus Podcast. And uh, I'd like to begin with that verse from Matthew that says, uh, Blessed are those who thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. Today we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 14 uh, to the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. And then uh, we'll take a look at the first two chapters of the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Uh, Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians talks about uh, speaking in tongues and uh, the different kinds of spiritual gifts that uh, people had in the early apostolic era of the church. Um, And Paul was trying to help them organize what would be their gifts and prioritize them, really, that uh, he kind of says um, preaching is, is the most important one, or he calls it uh, prophesying, and he wishes that everybody would do that. Uh, but for some reason, the Corinthians had it in their head that they really liked this tongue speaking. So uh, what, what uh, comments did you have about that? Oh, I didn't introduce you. This is Pastor Michael Zarling.
1: Well, thank you. Well, Pastor Lane, have you met anyone Talk to anyone that says that he or she can
0: speak in tongues. I I used to visit a woman who had some uh, other ladies in her apartment building that went to a Pentecostal church, and uh, some of the ladies that would go along with them would talk about how uh, it was kind of scary and uncanny and weird what was going on, but uh, I don't know, have you?
1: Well, yeah, so what he's talking about here is, uh, St. Paul is talking about, is people were able to have the gift of speaking in tongues. And today, people think that's just kind of gibberish. And what Paul says, well, these were probably known languages, but you have to have someone there to interpret. Otherwise, it doesn't do anyone any good. And he lays out the rules. Uh, we did have a, a lady who was a neighbor of ours when I was a pastor in Kentucky, that she had visited our congregation a few times. And then I went to make an evangelism visit on her. And she said she had gone to her husband's and mother-in-law's charismatic church. So you mentioned Pentecostal church that's all about speaking in tongues. But then you have other churches, like you might have Methodist or Catholic or Lutheran that are charismatic. So they have those doctrines of the church and then they also have the speaking in tongues inside of it. And this lady... She said that she had such pressure from her husband and her mother to speak in tongues that she just faked it. And they couldn't tell, but mm-hmm. she knew. And, and that's, that's the thing is, Paul is saying, uh, you need to be edifying each other. And you, know, you can, could you preach in German?
0: Uh, yeah, but uh, not, not very well, but yes. <laughs>
1: okay. But if you preached in German the majority of our people would not be edified by it. You would need to have someone that would translate it. And that's an applicable thing uh, for everything. Even if I try to sound smart by quoting Greek or Latin or Spanish or anything like that, it's only edifying me and it's not edifying the other people. And that's what Paul's getting at here.
0: It actually reminds me of a conversation I had with... um, Roman Catholic, who was pretty fired up and, and happy about a nearby Catholic church, one of the churches uh, near to where she lived, where they were going to start, um, have, or they, they have been for a while now having Latin mass. And um, I, I just asked her, well, who is going to understand that? And she said, well, it's not about you. Now that, that sounds like a very, you know, almost Lutheran way of thinking about it, that it's not about you to get your self saved, uh, but it is about you when it comes to understanding the message. So you would even, even if you have a church service in a different language, no matter if it's German or Latin or whatever, um, now, now that you've got my wheels turning, I also thought of another, uh, conversation that I've, I've had a couple of times with, a. German lady that has now gone on to glory at my first congregation, but the way that it worked in uh, southwest Michigan was that a German immigrant years ago, a family would have to have a sponsor in the United States before they could move here and, and, you know, build a home here. And so... Uh, this woman and her husband that were members of our church, when they first came to America, she said, I, I felt obliged to uh, go to the uh, Pentecostal church of my um, uh, in-laws, or it was some kind of relative of hers that uh, she went to their church services a couple of times. And <laughs> she said, um, I, I'm never going back there again. That w- That was about the scariest thing that I've ever heard. And... I survived the bombs in Germany.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And so you may have charismatic or Pentecostal churches around you. And what Paul's saying is those gifts you might have, but the greater gift is preaching the word. Uh, He says that those gifts of speaking in tongues, the uh, healing miracles and so forth, those will pass away. God used those for a time because, you know, in the Old Testament with the prophets and with Jesus and the apostles did garner attention until the scriptures were, were spoken and written. And now that we have those, we don't need those gifts anymore. And that's where we are as, as Lutherans. We want to emphasize that, uh, that preaching of the word.
0: If you would use one of the analogies uh, that Paul does, he talks about instruments or lifeless instruments that you have to pass wind th- or air through them in order to make them sound. And uh, one of them that he talks about is the trumpet calling troops to battle. Uh, and there's a messi- message that the troops understand before they hear the trumpet. Uh, maybe today a better example would be um, like a, a tornado siren. If If you just are dropped into our culture and society out of the blue. And then all of a sudden it's 4 p.m. on Saturday and uh, you are hearing these uh, wailing sirens going off. You might wonder, what is what is that all about? Uh, if you don't have some kind of understanding uh, of the language uh, in, in the first place, then it doesn't really pay to uh, be speaking in a language that people can't understand.
1: And then that goes into the later verses, like 22 and following, where he talks about how the speaking in tongues... That's for, or the, the the prophecy, that's for the believers and the uninformed visitors, the unbelievers, and they think they're crazy. Well, we don't have to be concerned about the speaking in tongues in our church, but I think when you have visitors come into the church, they can think that we as Lutherans are crazy because they don't understand what we do. You know, I call it Lutheran gymnastics. You know, why do we stand? Why do we sit? Why does the pastor turn? And I think a lot of times our members don't even know. And so I had written my adult confirmation class based on the liturgy, the order of service to explain to people, this is why we do an invocation, confession of sins, the the benediction and everything in between. And when we have the new hymnal coming out in Advent in our congregation, that's one of the things that I want to do is just remind our own people and then have the visitors come in and explain bit by bit of the order of service. Why do we stand here out of respect? Uh, Because uh, we're talking to God. We sit here because the pastor is speaking, because that's when God's talking. And the pastor turns to face the altar because he's speaking to God for the people. He's facing the people because he's speaking for God to you. And, you know, I think we forget that, and we're not edifying the visitors and the unbelievers.
0: It's always good to uh, keep re-examining and reminding ourselves, like you mentioned, even our own people uh, may not understand why we follow the traditions that we do. Uh, As I look to the end of the chapter or the rest of the chapter, um, there are quite a few things that would really take kind of a whole Bible class to uh, unravel and unpack all of the meaning of it. Uh, Maybe there are a few gems here and there that uh, would make uh, decent little sound bites if we're just having a casual conversation about it. One of them is uh, verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are also subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Paul is sort of saying there, uh, if you've got this charismatic, bubbly, uh, you know, just sort of spontaneous Uh, style of uh, preaching or worship um that, that that let's say that there's not anything necessarily wrong with that but you do have control over it you can't just say oh the spirit is moving me i have no control no the spirit he says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets you can control what you do so don't don't play that card um uh, and then that kind of plays into the last verse, too. Let all things be done decently and in order. Um, uh, I, I don't know if you wanted to talk about any of the other parts of the end of the chapter. No, here. I
1: was going to talk, too, about that being dec- uh, doing everything decently and in order. Again, I think that really applies to us as Lutherans with our liturgy. I remember in Kentucky, for one week, I was able to go to a tent revival, a real tent revival mm. and then I went to see a real prophet. That was the way they advertised in the postcard, a real life prophet. And you know, where they did the healing miracles, you know, putting them on the the hand on the forehead, the people falling over, laying there with a cloth over their head the whole time. And then there was the service of twenty minutes of singing. Everyone swaying with their hands up. I was down with a I was there with the biggest member that I had. He was like my bodyguard because <laughs> I'm a smaller guy and we're Lutheran. So we were holding on to the chairs in front of us. We wouldn't be raising our hands, yeah. but there was no flow. It, it just, whatever it was, it felt very disorganized. Whereas mm. again, you come to a Lutheran service and you understand this is the way it is. It's, it's in the hymnal, it's in the worship folder. You know what is coming because it's there printed out or, You've done it before, and so there, everything's done decently and in order. And that's why we have greeters and ushers and assistants and musicians. They all have that that assistance to keep everything so it's done decently and in order.
0: It it's um, it it get it, you just got me thinking about. Uh, I, I met one of our members uh, here at Water of Life. Uh, for the first time uh got to know uh his family a little bit but um if you think of people who are autistic or have autism um, one of the things that they do not do well with is uh, unpredictability and and when things when things are you know just spontaneous and uh constantly coming out of the blue all the time i mean i, I don't know much about uh, uh, autism, but I've I've heard a few things, and I know that one thing that uh, that people that are on that spectrum like and they do well with is when they have patterns that they can follow, and when they know that this this happens and then that happens next, um, that, that you can see the the loving hand of God guiding behind uh, things like this when He says, "Let's have our services be done decently and in order for people for people who need it like that."
1: And, and little kids are like that too. Yeah. So then we get into the great resurrection chapter. And throughout uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing these Christians in the city of Corinth who have these issues, have these problems. And one of them is they don't believe in the resurrection. So I'll let Pastor and talk about this because he knows that I just preached on this. And so he <laughs> heard it in two different
0: sermons. So I'll let him take the lead on this. Well, you you didn't preach on the verses until later in the chapter, how are we supposed to get the uh, first part of the chapter started? I'm going to let you talk about it. Okay. Uh, so, uh, what Paul says here is that, um, this is a this is a formula that he has used all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians uh that he talks about what he has received and and that he is passing along um he's not just making stuff up out of the top of his head he received this and this is what you've taken your stand on um and uh he goes on to give us really a little bit uh of the embryonic forms of the creed uh, I would say that uh, Christ was di- Christ died for. You know, we're just talking about this in religion class, the um, creed and how. Yeah, the creed is not in the Bible as such. You can't point to a passage that says, here is the Apostles' Creed, Uh, but you can, every line of it, uh, Nicene and Apostles and Athanasian, you can find support for it in Scripture. Um, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, uh, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the Twelve. I'm going to throw a question back to you that somebody threw to me one time, which was uh, when this guy heard us, he was coming out from non Lutheran background, and uh, he he said, "Now, why is it that you say in the in the Creed Nicene Creed, in accordance with the scriptures shouldn 't you be saying that with every line hmm. that this this is in accordance with the scriptures, and that is in accordance with but just just that one uh, having to do with uh, the resurrection? Uh, what would your response be
1: that I would never have i've never thought of that before because i 've never been asked that before." <laughs> But I would answer that, uh, that's a really good question, because that's what you say before you say you're not going to answer. No, <laughs> yeah. is that uh, I think that it's there. And I'm just guessing in that uh, that whole point of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, that is the key doctrine throughout Scripture, because the next verses. Uh, verses 12 and following, Paul lays out the argument, if you don't have the resurrection, you don't have a resurrection of Christ. And if you don't have the resurrection of Christ, then all of these other things happen. But uh, maybe that's why Paul says it there, as
0: opposed to the, you know, like he said, the rest of the lines of the creed. And, and, I haven't looked this up since I first was asked that question, so I'm I'm not saying that that mine is the right one either. But I think I said something similar, which was uh, the the resurrection is such a pivotal, important uh, point of our faith that uh, you can't you can't do without it. And uh, when you see that it was predicted in the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the New, that that is worth mentioning.
1: And I just preached on this last Sunday with uh, my dangerous testimony to the authorities from Acts chapter 26. And Paul begins his uh, testimony in front of King Agrippa and uh, Governor Festus with the resurrection, because earlier, uh, the whole reason he was arrested and then put on trial was because he had said before the Sanhedrin about the resurrection. And the Sanhedrin said, there's no resurrection. And he said, the whole Old Testament, our whole faith as children of Abraham is built on the resurrection. And, and then with that, that's the starting point of, well, Christ died and he rose again. And then he goes on in the first few verses of chapter 15 saying, and there's proof, there's eyewitness testimony. You only need two eyewitnesses. And then he's got over 500 and some.
0: Yeah, that that was the only other thing I was going to point out right here is uh, one of one of the things I love most is yeah there were five hundred over over five hundred people that could say yes this actually happened a guy died we saw him dead and then we saw him come back from the dead and we are willing to die for I I really like your uh, posts on Facebook about um, the Nixon and Watergate um, and how. <laughs> The truth comes out pretty quickly when, when your neck is on the line. And uh, it, it, the fact that these people did not uh, give up their testimony, even when their neck was on the line, ought to really say something. Yeah,
1: it's hard to keep a lie under wraps. And that was the whole point with, with Watergate. You know, there were just a few people involved, but they couldn't keep it secret. But the truth comes out and these people are willing to die for the truth. They weren't willing to die or go to jail with Watergate
0: yeah yeah uh one of the thoughts that I had about uh our preaching is pointless and your faith is pointless if you if you uh believe in Christianity without the resurrection um that kind of reminds me about how there are lots of people out there who would say oh there's a lot of good things about having faith i get you know i get it i get that it's it helps your morality and it helps you to have a well-structured society and keeps your family life straight and that sort of thing um paul says nuts on all of that that uh if you don't believe in the resurrection you're leading a pitiful lifestyle that, that it would be it's it's it's, it's pointless to be uh, leading the lifestyle of a Christian if you don't also take seriously the supernatural fact of uh, Christ's resurrection.
1: And, and these verses are used so often on the deathbed of someone or uh, meeting with a family uh, after someone has died. They're used at a Christian funeral or a committal service. Uh, they are great comfort. In fact, I use these verses just a few minutes ago. I talked to a pastor about some mission work, and I just asked him, like you always do, how are you doing? He goes, oh, not real good. I said, what's going on? I said, oh, my mom passed away on uh, the day before Easter. And he's a pastor, and yet still give him that resurrection comfort. Uh, but I'm getting older, and so that's my excuse for becoming more crotchety you know, and having more pet peeves. And one of my pet peeves is the funeral directors now, and people say this too, is, well, thank you for coming and celebrating the life of so-and-so. Well, I am very adamant when I meet with family before I do a funeral is I'm not going to celebrate Joe's life. Mm -hmm. I'm celebrating the life of Christ in Joe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I had, so I always meet with the family, Uh, ahead of time to have stories in the sermon and I remember meeting with these five kids that were confirmed in our congregation but they all fell away Hmm. and I met with them for an hour and I had all these stories and then when I was leaving and packing up to go the youngest daughter said pastor I know you got to talk about Jesus and all that stuff but can you focus on these stories more no (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, so I've told that story in a sermon. And then one of our ladies, I I visited with her and ministered to her husband when he was dying. He wasn't a member. And she asked me, because I ministered to him, can I just do a committal at the cemetery? And she said, and you don't need to tell any stories about Michael, because we know all the stories better than you do. Mm. You just tell the stories about Jesus. Mm. And, and that's fantastic. And so what I tell families ahead of time is, you can tell all the stories you want before and afterwards at the at the meal and reception. I'm going to tell the story of Jesus in the life of Joe baptism, confirmation, uh wedding, uh his service in the church, how he was a great uh father and bringing his family into the church and everything having to do with his faith and Jesus getting him to heaven. That's the key. That's the story only I can tell. You can tell all the other stories you want.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, thought that I had as I was glancing over these verses is also of uh, recently in our religion, in my religion class. We uh, I announced the possibility that we could take a trip this summer to the uh, Creation Museum in Ark Encounter in Kentucky, and. Um, it, that got me thinking here about when it says, "As in Adam they all die, so also in Christ, uh, then." Uh, oh, I D- lost my place. Christ, D- they will be made alive. I know. Yeah, I know how it ends. Uh, so <laughs> just rattled it off for memory. Um, but uh, the the good thing to think about with that is, um, again, you you can't you can't it, your faith will not survive long if you are a Christian who also believes in evolution, that um, it, it's possible, uh, but uh, th- don't don't mess around with that for too long. Because here, what would it be saying? Um, if Adam was not an actual historic person, then that also kind of undermines uh, Christ and, and what he did here. As in Adam, all die. Also in Christ, everyone will be made alive. Um, well, then there is no, if there is no real, uh, Adam long ago, then, uh, then Christ's death and resurrection also becomes meaningless. Uh, but since, since that is true, that is God's word and Jesus himself, most importantly, uh, verified that there was an Adam and Eve, uh, then, then we too should believe the same thing.
1: And then right at the end, Paul says, verses 57 and 58, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, that's a key word, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the Lord's work because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Uh, To labor in the Lord's vineyard is often difficult work. Uh, And yet, Paul is urging you as resurrection believing Christians to stand firm in the Lord, continue to work for him. Uh, And that may mean, and you look at our culture, I know I talk a lot about the culture in these podcasts is I want you to open your eyes. You will be canceled, boycotted. You may be arrested, imprisoned, uh, very likely threatened. You'll be persecuted. You could be fired. There may be death. And yet, Paul says, "Your labor is not in vain."
0: Um, it it makes me think that maybe you uh, are are wanting to move on to chapter sixteen. Yeah. So, one of the
1: things before we move on to chapter sixteen, I just want all of you who are listening to to know this. So, the last few podcasts, Pastor Lighten and and I talked beforehand. He says, "You know, we don't have to talk for ten minutes on each chapter." And then, what do we do? We talk for twelve minutes on
0: each chapter. This is this is true. I, I was thinking that you know, when it comes to the chapter sixteen, uh, I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot that is really uh, difficult to understand or uh, would take a lot of time to talk about. And and so I was wondering if if would would you would you want to spend a minute or two more on,
1: uh, I I think talking about those key verses in chapter 16, Paul is encouraging people in Corinth to collect money for an offering for the Christians who are suffering famine in Jerusalem. And, you know, I want to encourage you who are listening to keep on supporting your ministry, your church, uh, here at our congregation. It's interesting. And I've heard this about other churches that, uh, the giving has remained steady in some churches, especially I just came from two days of mission board work uh, at our synod office and listening to our Wells president, Pastor Schrader, you know, he said, amazingly, our uh, congregational mission offerings, that's what your congregation gives as a percentage to the synod for work. It went up this year. It's the highest it's been in a decade. In a year when so much has been shut down, God's people are generous. And that's my encouragement to you. Uh, I've seen that with our people and their generosity. And I just think of, and I tell the story often of like, like the shut-ins that I go see. And then uh, there's a stack of envelopes there. You know, they can't come and yet there's, you know, what I have no idea what's in the offering envelope, but every week they are putting an offering in as they are supporting the ministry of the church. And that's what Paul says. Every week in the beginning of the week, set aside something in proportion, a percentage of how much you're bringing in and give it back to the Lord as a thank offering.
0: It, it, I think you uh, covered it pretty well. Um, I don't know if I have much more to say. I also wasn't very clear with what I was trying to say a second ago. Did you... I was wondering if, if if we didn't spend a lot of time on chapter 16 if you wanted to look a little bit more at uh the discussion about the resurrection body in chapter 15 or cool. should we should we move on You can you can talk about that's great it, It's just a neat thing to talk about because yeah. I think that um uh we we don't spend enough time thinking about how w- when we, we uh, here here's the thing here's the thing that uh I probably rant about too much but how often does the scripture talk about dying and going to heaven? And I mean it in, in, the, in that exact wording, yeah. dying and going to heaven. Yeah, our soul goes to be with the Lord. The, the scriptures talk that way. But uh, verses uh, 35 through 49 of the uh, chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians um, really get you thinking about the, the life to come and how it, like i always like to say it's not going to be just floating around on clouds uh strumming harps or wearing a white robe being angels yeah yeah you don't turn into an angel you don't <laughs> turn into a disembodied spirit you are going to th- th- god liked what he made when he when he said all uh, this is very good in in genesis 1 uh he liked the creation uh and jesus redeemed the creation and he wants to uh, renew the creation. And so he w- he's talking about our resurrected bodies. Now, what exactly is that going to look like? Well, the other point that Paul makes is we're not going to be able to pin down a lot of details, but he says, and this is the neat analogy, think of a seed that you put into the ground. What comes out is totally different. It's connected. It's still the same, you know, it, it's from the same thing, uh, but it is a lot more beautiful and a lot more glorious, uh, and 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 here's the key: it's a real physical body. We don't stop being physical beings even in uh, in their last resurrection.
1: And one of the things that I remind our people of all the time because our people live in the world and they get infected with these ideas, like becoming angels. You know, oh, you know, Uncle Joe, you know, he he went to heaven. He got his he got his wings. No. He's a saint in heaven. Saints are better than angels. But uh, I remember a number of years ago being here in my office and a lady from uh, one of the cemeteries in town wanted to come and sell me a burial plot. And I didn't know what she was doing. She wanted to sell it to me, so I would give her permission to sell it to our members. But I told her, I have no reason for a burial plot. My family would never come and visit me there because I'm not there. Mm. You know, I'm going to be in heaven and they're not going to sit on a bench and talk to me because I'm going to be too busy. I don't care anything about what's going on in this world because I'll be in heaven praising Jesus. And then she backed up and left. (laughs) Uh, But I do remind my daughters uh, that uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And, you know, that uh, I tell them, well, you know, now you can take. Or not they, but you, know, you can have you know like my ashes made into jewelry, and then they can wear wear me around their neck all the time. I'm sure
0: they love that yeah. idea.
1: They said, "Dad, that's not creepy at all." <laughs> yeah, but I said I won't care because I'll be in heaven.
0: Yeah, yeah. With a new body. Well, it, but your soul your soul departs, but we're going to be resurrected on the last day. Our soul and body are going to be reunited, uh, just like Christ. Uh, was not he, he was not a disembodied ghost floating around after his resurrection. They could touch his hand, his wounds the, he was eating food in front of them. Uh, and, and that kind of gives us a little uh, idea of what we're talking about when we say a resurrected body like the Lord Jesus.
1: So I don't forget, I've got two things. Uh, we'll talk about this later on when we uh, get into the Gospels again. But I heard this from a pastor in a devotion today, and I never thought of it, that in the Greek, uh, because the Gospel lesson for the, second, the first Sunday after Easter is always Jesus appearing to his disciples behind locked doors and Thomas not being there. And Thomas saying, I want to put my finger into his nail holes. Except uh, in the Greek, it doesn't say put my finger, it says shove it in. You know, that's kind of creepy yeah. to shove it into, uh, into his hands. And the pastor said, that's crude. He is specifically being crude and saying, instead of saying, I just want to look into his eyes. Uh, but Jesus allows him to do that. The other thing, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Is I had a little, little guy, a second grader asked me a little while ago. So pastor, when I, if I die as a kid, do I stay a kid in heaven?
0: And this is this is exactly why I bring, I bring this up with the uh, resurrection chapter. Paul get, This is what Paul is trying to answer. And I, I don't know if I would say this to the little kid. I've had l- little old ladies ask me this. Uh, actually, a woman that I know very well who was at one point uh, pregnant asked me if Jesus returns right now, would I be pregnant for all eternity? And I, again, I don't know if I would say this to any one of them, but Paul kind of does. He says verse 36 you are being foolish <laughs> you what you sow is not made alive unless it dies um so the the body that that we have right now even the body you have when you die is is the seed that's the one that's going into the ground i, I i'm not going to be able to answer the question but all i can tell you is it's going to be much more glorious um yeah what i said to the little guy
1: was uh i answered him by saying. Uh, well, would you want to be an adult? He goes, no, adults are boring. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, that's a little bit true. <laughs> uh, I,
1: I remember reading one, uh, one theo- theological uh, paper on this from one of our seminary professors, and he talked about that seed, and he talked about, you know, you plant a kernel of corn in the ground. If you didn't know anything about farming— you would not guess that that huge eight-foot stalk came from that little kernel. He said that could be just how different our bodies are. And I think he was being facetious, but he was trying to get the point across of how different we are that we might have to wear name tags the first moments (laughs) in heaven because we'll look so different than what we do now. And Hmm. so for those people, you know, when they die as an infant or die... As an elderly person, or they've lost a limb and so forth, yeah, I think you you point to Paul and say, you know what, we're going to be different and we're going to be beautiful and perfect, and yeah, better,
0: better, better, than, yeah.
1: So leave it at that, and, and and move on with that discussion. Just focus on, uh, and, and so many people too, they talk about being in heaven. You're right; Scripture doesn't really say being in heaven. It's, you get to be with Jesus. Yeah. That's the key.
0: It's going to be the what it most often says is the new heavens and the new earth. It's a new the new universe, the new globe, and the new outer space.
1: Yeah one one gentleman whose wife had just died and he was in tears afterwards said well, and he was he was dying too. He died just a few months later. He said well, but then I get to be with and then his wife's name. I said well and Jesus. Oh oh yeah and Jesus too. <laughs> All right. Should we move on to Hosea? Sure. All right, so Hosea is uh, around 729 B.C. Uh, So the prophet Hosea, he's serving in the northern kingdom of Israel. So you've got the southern kingdom of Judah and then the northern kingdom of Israel. He's a contemporary of Isaiah and Micah and Amos who were from Judah. And so his prophecy is based on the final days of the Northern Kingdom before it was destroyed by uh, Assyria in 722 BC. And he's talking about uh, the last years of prosperity and false security for Israel. Uh, And the, the history of the Northern Kingdom just spiraled downhill very quickly because of their, their kings that were uh, leading the people into worship of Baal and Asherah and Molech and all kinds of other false gods. And the end ends up ugly and shameful. And uh, God uses the picture of his prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer as an illustration of his relationship with idolatrous and adulterous uh, Israel
0: you You often uh, hear it as a pastor or uh you might hear about pastors that uh you kind of live as parsonage is a glass house that um, not literally but that y- your your family is is sort of in the spotlight and uh held to a higher standard and and that and as that's as it should be. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it also makes things harder. Uh, well, can you just imagine what the spotlight or the, the glass house would be like if God told uh, you, I, w- I want you to be a pastor. I want you to preach my word, uh, and make sure to marry a prostitute. Um, now there, there's some question there about whether or not, um, he married, uh, upstanding young woman who then had an affair on him and God just sort of foretold that to him that that was what was going to happen or uh did he tell Hosea I want you to go out and find an actual uh prostitute and and take her as your wife when she makes this her her life's business um but uh that God uses that as a huge object lesson I you know think of <laughs> think of your Children's sermons. You 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 use object lessons in them, and uh, this is one that would not really be a necessarily G-rated object lesson. This is
1: not a Sunday school lesson.
0: No, no. Uh, but then the other thing is that the kids, too, end up being object lessons themselves. Um, and then there's the big question of wh- whether, well, are they Hosea's children or not? Maybe maybe they're not even his own blood children, but he, he treats them as such. Uh, and God attaches names to each of them that, uh, that send a message to the people of the congregation about uh, what the Lord wants to tell them.
1: And then in chapters 1 and 2, because they kind of go together... Uh, God through Hosea is talking about how the people were worshiping Baal. They were adulterating themselves with Baal. They had a, a husband-wife relationship with the true God, but then they went off and they adulterated and idolatred themselves with, with a Baal worship. And part of their worship of Baal was to... Uh, go and have sex with the male prostitutes outside of the Baal Shrine. Uh, and and I just read an article this morning. I don't know if you've heard of this, Pastor Lightning, that there's a couple in New York that wants to get married. So no big deal, you would think. Except this is a couple where it's a woman who wants to marry her uh, adult son. Okay, so it's an incestuous relationship and... You know, for good reason, there is a law against that in New York.
0: Oh, the the good reason that that there's a law against it. Yes. It's not, she doesn't have a good reason for wanting to do it.
1: No, but what she's doing is she's suing the state to get rid of that law. Hmm. And the article I read from a Christian man was saying, well, where's the government going to stand on that because Mm -hmm. they've allowed for... Uh, you know, maybe it's a decade ago already, of gay marriage. And then now you have uh, others challenging that. And so you might have a throuple. That's three mm. people sure. in a marriage.
0: Well, and how long has polygamy been around?
1: Yeah. And then you've got people wanting to marry their dog. And in England, there is a case where this lady uh, wants to marry her chandelier, she really loves chandeliers, but there's one particular chandelier she really, really loves. But all of this has happened because they, people have watered down what marriage is between a man and a woman that God has brought together for life. And so that's a good illustration of what's happening in America and England and elsewhere. And it's indicative of what is happening in our culture. And it's the same thing that was happening with uh Israel prostituting themselves with false gods. They were not married to the one true God. They just ruined that whole definition of marriage.
0: And and this is why I like to talk about uh when when it comes to um fellowship, this is why I like to talk about that in marital terms. When, when you're confirmed, you are making a solemn promise uh, to be wedded to a church, to a church body. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, the practice of fellowship is certainly a, a difficult and tricky, multifaceted type of thing to discuss, um, but it becomes a lot simpler when you think of it in terms of a marriage like this. Um, w- would this be acceptable Uh, If this was your relationship between a husband and a wife, when it comes to your relationship uh, between uh, one church body, uh, you and your church body or you and other church bodies, because quite frankly, um, the word bail in the Hebrew language is um, it's similar to a word for husband. It's similar to a word for master. And both of those things are terms that were used for the Lord for the true God, that, that he's a master, that he's a husband. Um, And so I I think we, you know, sort of shake our fingers at the ancient Israelites and say, well, how could they get all caught up in idol worship and Baal worship? Well, was it really that this was a false, like a, a outright false God or did they say to themselves kind of like we say to ourselves with different denominations today, well, it's still Jesus. It's still the same Christ. It's still the same God. Uh, we're just, we're just saying different things about him. Um, no, no. If you say different things about him, then that's a different God.
1: And again, it's very easy for us as Christians to say, well, that's other people. I don't see myself committing those sins with, uh, fellowship sins like you're talking about or Israel sins. And yet a good practice with every chapter you read in the Bible, every verse you read is to see where is the law and the law as a mirror showing you, how have you adulterated yourself? Have you been faithful to the true God in your worship, in your study of the Bible, in your sharing of your faith? Or have you said, you know what? Uh, I've got a soccer tournament this weekend and so you miss worship or that you are playing on your phone so you don't have time to read the scriptures or listen to a scriptural podcast on that same phone. Have you put your work and other entertainment in front of your time of being in God's word and sharing your faith with other people and so forth? And then what have you done? You have not put your God, your husband, in front of you and walking alongside of you. He's not the most important thing in your life. And then you're really no different than, than Israel. And what Hosea says is he comes down hard and saying, God's going to start taking these blessings away from you because, uh, you're, you're attribu- attributing them to your Baal worship. And so he's going to say, well, if you're going to think that you get your blessings from Baal, then I'm just going to pull them away. But even that is an act of love. So when we see things happening in our life, in our nation, in our culture, as you know, we go far, farther and farther away from God and things we might think are bad things and so forth may happen, we as Christians will look at that and say, you know what, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's God's law pointing out these sins. So he's calling us to repentance so that we can see Christ more clearly.
0: It's kind of like the uh, analogy that Jesus used in John 15 of the uh, grapevine that he says, my father prunes you so that you'll be more fruitful. And uh, when you feel things getting cut out of your life, uh, that that's kind of like the, the branches on Jesus the vine getting pruned. You, if, you, if those branches could talk, they would probably say, ow, it does not feel good to have things cut out of my life. And uh, that's also... Well, we are branches that can talk, and we do say, ow, that hurts. But also, it's going to make you more fruitful.
1: Or another analogy would be in Scripture when it talks about the purifying fire. Hmm. The fire doesn't feel good either, except that it purifies.
0: It burns off the impurities.
1: Anything else you want to bring up with Hosea chapters
0: 1 and 2? Just that even in the first chapter, you get that gracious gospel of... uh, you were called not my people and you will be told you are children of the living God. Um, That's a great note to start the prophet on. And so that's uh, the thing that I'd like to end on. right.
1: So next week we'll spend more time with Hosea and Gomer. This is pastor Zarling with pastor white lightning. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.